Jenny, thanks for joining us. So great to be here. Thanks well, for having me. Of course, we we did the intro, but uh, I'll sort of rehash. New York Times bestselling uh, author. Uh, I don't have that accolade off my two, first two books. Uh, so congrats. <laughs> How was that feeling? Yeah. Well, the first one felt really good. I, I just didn't ever see that happening. I certainly didn't get into writing for those reasons. But man, when it happens, it's a shock. And I think the biggest thing it represents, I mean, you have to sell a lot of books to to do that. And so just that there was a lot of people out there reading it, it was, yeah, it's encouraging. Sure. Well, so in your books are Get Out of Your Head. Made made for this anything and nothing uh, to prove. I know you founded uh, If Gathering. Yeah. Um, are just are, are you a writer by nature? Yeah, I would say I grew up in a lot of writing classes. I'm a content person. Like I think in content. I have six to ten book ideas on my phone at every minute. Like I, I, I love content. I'll never run out. People ask me all the time, "How do you like just keep writing books over and over again?" And I really could probably I've got two more in in process in my head right now. So that's the thing I'm I'm great at. And then I'm I'm a visionary. I love bringing people together and so if gathering was a chance for me to do that. Yeah, I'm really blessed. I get to do what I love and and I get to do it in a way that reaches a lot of people. It's really fun. Uh, how I mean how many hours a, a day are you writing? Oh, I'm not like that. Well, I go in seasons. So if I'm in a writing season, nobody sees me for a long time. I get weird. I'm alone too much. I I tuck myself away and I write. And it's sometimes, you know, six months or longer where I'm in truly in writing mode. And yeah, it's kind of lonely, but it's good. Isn't that funny? You know, some friends are like, dude, you, you don't respond to me. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah. bro, I'm in, no. I'm, I'm in like performance well, mode. Well, right I have now. ADD. So if I get in a focused mode, I have to stay in it. And that's what we learned early on with writing was the worst would be if I tried to write at home and somebody walked in. So I just, I learned get away and crank it out. And that, that works better for me. We, we, we've had some great authors on here. Um, Mark Greeny is mm-hmm. one, the famous uh, Gray Man series. Yeah. And that guy is just writing nonstop. Yeah. But I mean, it's I'm also his like contract that. is... Yeah, I'm not like that. I mean, I'm once every two years or three. Like, I'm not, I don't do that. It's not my, (laughs) I don't love it that much. I I do it because I know it serves the purpose I have, but yeah. But it's also a good feeling writing something that you think. is helpful. Exactly. I love that. I mean, somebody asked the other day, you know, when do you know a book has succeeded? And I said, it's so easy when it first comes out and I get the emails back in. Because that's real and tangible. That actually, uh, an award collects dust and everybody forgets about it. But so, when you've really impacted somebody's life, that that means something. And when people stop me and say, I read your book in the middle of a deep depression and I didn't know what I was going to do. And it literally lifted me out. Like that is, man, like you, that, you can't replace that with any award or anything else. So the more I go, the more I'm like, I'm glad I, as a, as a, any person in the, any industry wants to, you know, achieve, sure. But that comes and goes, like really viewing it as once I know it's helped people, that feels really rewarding. I, I'm so glad to hear that because that's the biggest, like intangible value of writing a book. It is. Is when you get that email yes. or you read that review. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the bad reviews. I'm like, sure. what, what the hell, man? <laughs> like, 
One guy left a one-star review because the book he got was torn. Damaged. On, oh, I have like, those too. That's just like, not hey, right. Yes. Hey, people, don't the content, do that. That's the content mean. of the book. How right. did you like it? Get onto Amazon, not us. Yeah, that's yeah. an Amazon review, not a not a me review. <laughs> We're all taking those personal out here. I do. Re- do you read reviews? Mm, no. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I would say very rarely. I it's not good for me. I I get affected. Now I love. That what my team will do is they'll copy and paste ones they want me to read. Because, yeah, if I get in there, I mean, it's just there's crazy people that really hate you. And it was not what they were expecting. And that's okay. I get it. But, yeah, that, I got to keep my head out of that. I'm good at protecting my brain in all this because yeah. it's the work. It sounds like this is the work you do, too. Like, mental, like your mental capacity and where you think controls the whole thing, right? And so... I'm just not going to, I don't know. There's always going to be people. There's all haters, haters. going to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> and it, what, what I love about this generation, we've talked about this a lot. Um, one, of, one of my partners in the Everyday Warrior Nation for Men's Journal is John Wellborn. And we we just, it, the keyboard cowards, mm-hmm. because I don't call yeah. them keyboard oh, warriors. For sure. it just Right, right. And that we just can't find worth in that or give any energy to it. I watched one of my friends this week get torn to shreds online. And I know this person well, and it was not accurate. I mean, it just wasn't even accurate. And so there's no way, but but people can do whatever they want. <laughs> How about this? I think there should be a mandate that if you leave a very negative review, you leave your home address. And picture. And picture. Yeah. We just need to see your face. We need to see your eyes. Are they crazy? Are they real? We don't know. <laughs> there, there was a funny British commercial. Um where a guy went to a house, he's, he's got a crew behind him, said, sir, on this date you wrote uh, about uh, a professional uh, boxer no. that he couldn't throw a gut punch uh, to put anyone down to we save We thought his it life. might be great for you to get in the ring. That's yeah. what I wish they did. We thought well, maybe you'd want to come up against it and see. The, the actor in the commercial says, would you stand by those words? And he's like, yeah, I would stand by those words. And the boxer's right behind yes. him comes up and punches him no, in the gut. So, that's what I'm talking about. We need um, some of that as authors. Just, you know, if you got something <laughs> negative to say, I mean, it's freedom of speech so and, and protected it with our lives. Yep. Uh, you can't infringe on that's it. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, go go say your thing. I just, I it's just not how I roll, so I don't totally get it. Like, I'm someone who, if I don't agree, like, I don't pay attention. Just move on, you know, but okay. So, uh, you know, I'm glad you came from Dallas to uh, to join us again. Mother of four, that's that's God bless you, good American. Uh, we need more uh, families producing uh, kids. Yeah. Um, so you had great success with uh, with get out of your head, and with mental health uh, today. I, I just wanted to hit this briefly because I've ended up in in a cycle of toxic thinking. When I left the military, yeah. I, I lost my tribe, mm. I lost my purpose, my DNA. Right. Yeah. Um, why was that book so important in, in helping people stop this this spiral of toxic thinking? And for me, could you sort of define what you think toxic thinking is? Sure. So all of us have it. Um, it in fact, it's unbelievable the statistics of the percentage. 80% of our thoughts are negative. That's just humankind. And I don't know how they researched that, but that was... Um, pretty insane to me, that statistic out of the science world. And then um, most of our thoughts, in fact, even a higher percentage of our thoughts are repetitive day after day after day. So we've got 80% negative thoughts, and then those are on repeat every single day. 
So that's pretty disturbing. And then I think where this project came in so big in my life was I was in a season where I was waking up at 3 a.m. and having really dark thoughts about death and about, you know, whether I believed in God or not and just all these thoughts that that consume me. And, of course, in the middle of the night, it's really hard to fight back and you're not really – I wasn't even thinking about fighting back. I didn't – I don't even think I realized how dark my thoughts had gotten until I said it out loud to a friend. And I, I said out loud, like, this is what I've been thinking. And they laughed. Their first reaction was to laugh. And the reason they laughed was because they were like, that's not what you believe. Like, you actually really, like, aren't afraid of dying. And you really believe in God. Like, they said all these things back to me, and I was like, you're right. Like, they knew me well enough to know that whatever had happened at 3 a.m. by myself in my head was probably not me. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't all of me. There was part of me that was having those thoughts, but there was another part of me that really had a ton of faith and and hope for the future and all these things too. And so when I when I realized that, I was mad because I was like, gosh, I've just let this happen for so long without ever telling anyone. It was months. It was like 18 months. And it really affected me. Like I got very apathetic. I just got very checked out of my work. I just was discouraged a lot, as you would be. And so that was a turning point for me of, wow, we've been given a lot of power over our minds. Like science will tell you that. Um, I'm a believer in Jesus. And so what you see in scripture tells you that. So I, I just saw everywhere that I was, when I started doing the work and the research, I was like, gosh, this is all saying the same thing, that we have power over our thoughts. And for some reason, that had never really sunk into me. And I'm not saying I'd never had that thought or heard that message before, but I never took that seriously enough to actually fight back against the negative thoughts I was having. And so that was pretty transformative for me. And and I would say, you know, I struggled with an eating disorder early in my life. And, and that was one time where I really learned and had to do the work of trying to figure out how to turn the channel in my head. Like, this is consuming. It's It's giving, I'm giving all my thoughts to it. How do you actually whatever the negative or toxic thing is, how do you turn the channel? You know, that's the question. And it was so fun to research that because there's a lot of ways. I mean, gratitude is a big one. There's a there's a lot of really practical ways to turn the channel. And it's been transformative for me. You know, the, the, the voice in your head, for better or for worse, is the most powerful voice in your Absolutely. life. Absolutely. And it's insane. I, 80% seems so disproportionately high to me. Well, it does to me too, because I'm not a really negative person, but I would say what you, if you think about your thoughts, which is a funny thing to do, I mean, even saying it sounds kind of funny, but if you, if you take some time and actually think about them, which most of us don't, and you start to notice the things that actually get our attention are the negative things. And the book that is about to come out, Untangle Your Emotions, is, it actually, it completely expands on what Get Out of Your Head did, because it is goes deeper than just our thoughts, right? Because so many things actually begin with a feeling, an anxiety, a fear that pops up, um, something that makes you feel disappointed, something that makes you feel um, left out, and all of a sudden it becomes bigger. Those things actually get our attention. Our emotions actually get a lot of our attention. And so when we're having an emotional reaction to something, even if it's so little, even if it's like somebody looks sideways at you at, as you were checking out a Target, like whatever it is, it – 
it pings you and all of a sudden now you, you, you're a little bit spiraling. Like that's what I talk about in the book is it feels like a spiral in your mind where you'll feel something and then you'll think something and then all of a sudden it's affecting your everything about you, your behaviors, your relationships, and all that has consequences. So, you know, you just, you accidentally kind of spiral. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us in our days. And it's why, you know, I'm such a believer in encouragement and speaking life and truth. Like I think about my kids, I'm like all the time, it's so easy to notice what they're doing wrong. That's where my brain goes all the time, every day. I'm sure all of us feel that way as parents. But I try to speak 1% of that. And the 99% I'm trying to speak over them is actually who I see them becoming. So I'll say things like, you were so responsible today. Like, that was amazing. Gosh, you're getting responsible. I'm speaking. He's not responsible, y'all. He's, he's you know, a t- preteen, teenage boy at the time. He's not responsible. But, but I'm, I'm seeing glimmers of it. And I'm one, of the, one of the things I learned that transformed all of this for me, and I've used this language already on this show, is parts. Like, to understand that part of my son is insanely irresponsible could possibly accidentally kill someone because he just is in the wrong place at the wrong time and trips them and they fall off a cliff. Like just my, like it's possible. He's just, he's not spatially aware. You know, he's, he's figuring it all out. And like so many boys that age, but part of my son is actually wants to please his teachers, wants to please us and is trying really hard. Last night, in fact, we were on the phone and it's so cute. He was discouraged about, about school and and I was like, God, well, did you study for that? I was kind of probably adding to his stress by asking these questions. He said, Mom, what you need to understand is I'm trying here. What you need to understand. And I was like, you know what? And it stopped me in my tracks because I was like, you know what? You are. You're right. And, and you're not getting it perfect. But I think if we view life and people as one thing, right? And that's, I think, what we do so often about ourselves even. We view ourselves as somebody that is unable to do something or insecure or afraid or anxious and we give ourselves a label then all of a sudden it's not leaving room for all the parts of us that are actually super brave and doing the thing anyway even though we're scared and so I I just love this and it helps me believe the best in people it helps me have better thoughts so sometimes when I'm in a situation where I'm feeling that insecurity about something I can I can own it and I can say you know what yeah I probably don't belong in this place but I also have been put here and I believe I have things that are important to say and God's put me here. So I'm going to go with that and I'm going to do the best I can with that. And that just that, that part parts language has helped me a lot in my life. Well, first off, I think my wife speaks 80% about my negativity and she's not wrong. She's, <laughs> right? she's absolutely right. right. We're not wrong. It's true. But you know, it's interesting and it sounds like you you follow a sort of mantra of emphasize the positive. Cause I mean, my friends would say I'm weirdly optimistic, but I would say it is a choice. Optimism is such a beautiful thing. I think it's a lost art, and I understand why. I mean, it's possibly stolen every minute of every day from every direction, so I get it. Like I, But I also think there's, there's so much good, and it's just, it really is to me like what I – what I choose to see in my kid. I'm like, just like last night, I could have seen how he hadn't prepared enough for something coming. Or I could see like, you know what? He had probably studied two to three hours that day for other things and, and done a lot of, he did a lot of work to get ready for Monday morning. And I was missing that. So I think it's just all in what we choose to see. 
You know, my perspective, a lot of toxic thinking revolves around what other people or our perception of what other people think of us. Yeah. And we're so concerned about that. Where Right. And, and you know, there's I was, Tim Kennedy who lives here in Austin. He's a famous UFC yeah. fighter, Green Beret. Uh, we were just texting. Beautiful military influencer. She was still active duty. Uh, 12-year-old daughter wow. celebrated her uh, daughter's birthday four days ago and took mm. her life. Oh, no. Uh, yesterday or the day before. No. A massive following. And no. I, I said to oh. Tim, I'm like, bro, it's like she had all the opportunity in the world. She had everything lined up. Wow. And the fact that she couldn't reach out, it, it just, going to show that right. people have so many obstacles in their lives. This is it. That they're truly not concerned about what's going on in yours. And so this your concern and perception of other people and their beliefs on you, that external yeah, sort of locus of control. Wit. get. And that's where, do you, I mean, do you read a lot on stoicism? I mean, I know what it is, but yes. I don't know that I read a ton on it. <laughs> it. It is, the thing I do love about stoicism, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I'm a yeah. Catholic, um, you know, Jesuit educated my entire uh, life, except for college. Um, there are some things to take from stoicism about, you know, it's like the prayer of serenity. Yeah. God help me to. Absolutely. Jeez, I'm going to screw it up. God, help me to change the things I can, uh, accept the things I can't, and know the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. And you, I would say 25 to 37-year-old Mike, if somebody wronged me, it was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to murder that individual. I'm going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, not physically. Um, and now I, I've noticed, and maybe it's men mature slower, so right. mentally. It's just like, yeah, he well, wronged you. Just, so just walk away from it. Let's get into that, because... That's coming from a part of you that is real. It's not like you just have an anger problem. Nobody just, that's, that's another thing. And specifically in the book that comes out today, Entangle Your Emotions, that's where get out of your head is powerful, but it is not enough. Like there, there are times when you cannot control a thought pattern because you have um, something deeper going on, right? So when you were struggling with that, um, there's reasons for that. It's not like you're a mean, horrible person. Like you, there's a lot of you that is kind and sensitive and all those things. And you would even say that about yourself. So there's, there's a reality that we don't want to admit because it feels so out of our control that, but it's not, that goes deeper than just our thought life. If it were just our thought life, man, we could ace that test. Like we really, just based on science, we really could ace the test. We have a lot of control over our thoughts, but it's not just our thoughts. We've got these emotions that sometimes we've been feeling since we were little bitty, like even two, three years old. Some people tell me stories from the first time they ever felt the emotion that they're struggling with Mm. when they were young. And they remember every detail of like a three-year-old story. It's wild. It's wild because emotions are such a force in our lives that they, that they stick with you. You know, they, they cause you to like a bit cause you to, I can't imagine with Navy SEAL what that meant. Did you just have to turn off all your emotions? So this is, this is the interesting part. <clears throat> a good friend of mine, Rich Vinny, who wrote a book called the attributes, 25 uh, hidden drivers of optimal performance talked about empathy had to be on a dimmer switch. Right. You know, we, How would we, you ever, I'm watching Band of Brothers right now. I'm like, you can't the best series ever, right? You can't look, you cannot do your job and think about their families and their, you can't, 
No, it's in, and you think about your guys. I'm willing to do violence in order for my guys to go home to their kids. But he said we became very good at when we went on a mission that empathy dimmer goes to zero. Okay. And then when we, when we got behind friendly lines, you, you dialed it back up. I think, however, with subsequent combat deployments, you, you dial it to zero and How it would only go it so up? far. So, right. a lot, and, and I'll finish with this. A lot of our guys, and even my wife to this day will say, and she wasn't, you know, I married her uh, after I retired. She's like, sometimes you're just emotionally like bereft or numb. Sure you and, are. And I, and I recognize it and I'm yeah. trying to be, I'm working on my empathy. I'll put it to you Does that way. Does that feel hard? Like almost, because I'm someone who's not super emotional, which is hysterical that I have this book on emotions now. But it was, sometimes you write about what you need to grow in, right? And so this was a place I needed to grow. And it was a hard, I had to build a process for people in the book because I, I felt a little bit lost. Like, I know that what you're saying is true, but I don't totally know how to access it. <laughs> Almost like it's a muscle that I haven't used and you're asking me to lift weights with it and I don't know that it's working. Um, do you feel like that? Like it's like it's almost, you're a little lost. Like how, how do I turn that up? I think as I get further, and I'm only five years retired, okay. coming up on six, as I get further from it, uh, let's just say I become a little more socially human. Sure. And um, it, it's what was required at the time. Do you, I mean, it, stop me if this is too personal or if you feel like it's We're, we're about vulnerability on this, okay. this podcast. Well, do you feel like you're scared if you feel that you're going to feel backwards, like all those things that you had to go through? I've, I've, I've had to put in a lot of work. Um, and there, there was one, my wife pulled me out of a pit. So when I, when I moved to Austin, I left my last command on the East coast, Virginia beach, drove out here. And I was an absolute just disaster. Mm. I was drinking heavily. I was womanizing heavily because mm -hmm. uh, I was, you know, uh, divorced, uh, newly divorced. Um, I was self mutilating mm -hmm. in, a, in a way, and I'll, I'll spare the details. And um, I knew if I'd stayed on that path and that, that lasted about two years that things were going to get worse. Mm. And so it was a good mentor of mine, guy who was a senior SEAL officer to me at the same command, who said, hey, I'm putting you in contact with a guy named Dr. Chris Free. Mm. And Dr. Chris Free has his own book coming out in March called The Operator Syndrome. He's studied special operation, uh, special, special operators for his entire life. And he's diagnosed a lot of the things. Um, he's written a number of books. Um, and he put two years of time from Hawaii, you know, about three hours on the phone every week, wow. making me, forcing me to, to answer certain questions or to think certain ways. And... You know, hence the everyday warriors. Yeah, he helped right. me coin it because I felt I did not feel like a warrior anymore in the traditional sense. Yeah, and he reminded me, "You're still a warrior. Yeah. You just need yeah. to refocus that." But um, I think the military does a good job of teaching you to turn off emotions as yeah. is required by combat, um, but they're not very good about right. teaching you to turn them back on. And I would say to the people listening that don't have that experience. I learned to do that in suffering. I did the same thing. Where hence this book came from. Right. So we all learn to do that. 
like even if we weren't trained and even if we aren't facing something as dramatic as combat, we we are facing dramatic things. And I think I look back at the seasons in my life where, and it's not all bad, right? Like that, praise God that there are people that can turn off their emotions to do the jobs that need to be done in the world. Neurosurgeons, you really don't want an emotional neurosurgeon. Like you want them to be able to turn that off, whatever they're feeling as they're operating on your child, brain surgery. You don't want them to be emotional about that. So praise God for the people that can do that. Um, and then a lot of us, I think, have done it because of necessity. I mean, when I was, you know, when my kids were a little younger and um, we just adopted our youngest son and my husband walked through a massive depression that was pretty scary. And we had a lot of chaos in our lives outside of those two things, but that was a lot. And our son was just learning. I mean, he was, he moved from Africa and he was learning not to run in front of cars and mm. throwing forks when he was angry at our faces. And like, it was just intense. And Zach's pretty checked out. And so I, and there were 10 other things I could list that were going on at the same time. And I could have felt those things, but I would have crumbled and that would, no one would have survived. So I had to turn. It was, a, you know, I was a little bit of a Navy SEAL in that moment of just, I can't, I have to survive and I really can't feel what's going on. And, and so we pick up those skills to do that. And then we don't know how to turn them off. And so I couldn't turn them off after that. And you know, in the book, I talk about coping, concealing, and controlling. Those mm -hmm. are the three things we mostly do with our emotions. Well, that works for a while until you explode. Because the reality is, even if you as a trained Navy, Navy SEAL learn how to turn those down those emotions, you're still an emotional being. Like you, Amen. you are still an emotional being. So you can learn to control, cope, conceal, whatever you have to do to survive. But those emotions are still there because you are an emotional being. So it's that's what I need people to believe to be willing to go here with me because if they don't believe that, and a lot of men don't, a lot of people don't, um, they don't believe they're emotional. They, they don't express it the way that other they think of as an emotional person. So they don't think of themselves as emotional. But you are emotional, and those are going somewhere. And so I love what my counselor tells me, which is, Jenny – this is how he convinced me because I wasn't very convinced that this was a worthy journey. I was like, I don't, it feels exhausting to go and look at my sadness. Why? Like, <laughs> what good. I'd rather be optimistic. Like we started the show. I'd rather be, look at the positive. And he said, well, you're burning energy on stuffing that somewhere. Like there's energy. Compartmentalizing. Yes. Yes. And I kind of believed him, but not really. And then, but I kept going and I, eventually, and we did this in a group therapy session, which I'm a huge fan of. And so we, we get to a point where I really say the thing that is just, I haven't said out loud very often, if ever, that it has me. And it's coming from my 12 year old self where I had to measure up and it was just my deepest, darkest, like insecurity fear. And so I say that thing out loud. I'm not telling all y'all that, but I say it out loud. And then, um, that's all I did. I said it out loud and they didn't, say a lot back other than I feel proud of you and I feel sad. You know, they just felt with me. And I would have thought that was a bunch of mumbo jumbo and how is that helping anything? And then, <laughs> and then about two weeks later, something came up that would have triggered that fear in me and that thought and those feelings. And I, I didn't get anxious. And I hadn't, nobody had taught me anything. Nobody had given me any perspective that was life-changing. I hadn't read a book about something. 
I had just shared it with people that loved me. And they had felt that pain with me. And it worked. Like, literal magic. It just worked. And all of a sudden, that thing that, you know, to me, I, I describe it in the book as a disproportionate reaction to something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have this disproportionate reaction, and you're like, why? And to me, for me, it was my daughter talking about moving away. And she's an adult. And I'm like, I moved away. Like, people move away. You know, you can do that. But I would have almost panic attacks while she was talking about it. I was like, this isn't, my brain knows that you might move away one day. I always knew that, that you, we are very close. That won't change. My brain knew all the right answers, but my body was panicked. And so that is the part of us that's unresolved. It's those little things that just sit with us that we've stuffed, we've controlled, we've coped with, we've concealed. And then it just surprised. Here it is in a very usually inconvenient moment. You know, the, again, we, we have a term in the military, but I think this is prevalent in society, is suffer in silence. Oh, gosh. If I not, hope it's not encouraged. It, it's not encouraged, but it is a utilized, a reality, to get people to check their emotions oh, in the moment, the heat of the moment, in order to perform. It's, it's, a, it's a necessity. I'm not saying it's a good necessity. Because... War I understand. This is a crazy... I love this conversation. Yeah, this is crazy. Look look at post-traumatic stress. Uh, I believe it was General Mattis who said it best. These are when people come back and they have post-traumatic stress, which is not a disorder. These are the normal reactions to the abnormal conditions of war. (laughs) Yeah. Which is beautiful. But we are very good at compartmentalizing, as you say, conceal. You just push it down, you push it down, you push it down until that trash can is completely full. And that's when people become a complete and utter train wreck. I am a believer now, but but this is also wisdom and maturity uh, and a lot of failure, a lot of failure, that it is better in the moment to simply say, hey, I am not feeling right. I'm feeling this way. Can somebody be a springboard for me? And I think we're getting better in the military about that. But, you know, there was... And when I wrote my first book, The Talent War, How Special Operations and Great Organizations Went on Talent, one of the key interviews was a guy named General Jerry Boykin. Badass. One of the founding members of Delta Force. He was Operation Eagle Claw, the the failed Iranian hostage rescue. Um, This guy is looked up to. And he did talk about this emotional intimacy amongst the operators at Delta Mm. Force, soldiers. And I remember smirking. He's on the Zoom screen because... You know, he's, he's in Virginia. We were in Texas writing the book. There was a number of interviews. And he sees me smirking and he's like, why are you smirking? And I'm like, I've just never heard that term with relationship to men. Mm. But as he explained it, I'm like, you are absolutely right. I had an emotional intimacy with my guys. Mm. And if somebody was lost, he said, what did you do? I said, Usually the, you know, the best friend of the guy who was lost was in tears. And he mm. said, what would you do for that guy? So we'd wrap our arms around him and cry with him. So wow. there was, I mean, we were not. Wow. It, it's like the, the extremes. Yes. It's the extremes of. Oh, and that's the perfect way you put it is we go to the extremes, but we never deal with the middle. And yet life is the middle. And, mm. and so it's, it's a unique struggle. I, I mean, I just, I feel for, for that situation because coming back into normal relationships and life, that's just a lot. That's a lot. No bueno. It was, it was no good. And, and I became so distant from my first wife. Mm. 
I, you know, she had probably changed because it impacts. Sure. Dude, the, the unsung heroes of the military are the, the families. Yeah. Because they have to deal with us when we get back and we, we've changed. But, um, mm. you know, there's one concept yeah. I, I love in, in, in the book called revved up reactions. Mm. And usually, you know, I, I, when, you, when you say that, I think of other people that disproportionate response yeah. of you're like, bro, that, that didn't warrant that response or, or right. that reaction. We see it every day, by the way, everywhere. Um, yeah, it's, it's happening, but it's because, and that's where I, I mean, I'm scared. My book, get out of your head sold like a million and a half copies so far. So that's a lot of people reading that book and I'm really grateful and thank y'all for getting that book and reading it. It's, it's powerful. And it's right helpful. On. And I stand by every word in it. But if, if, I'm hoping that those same people and more read this book because if you stop at thinking, why can't I control this? Well, there's a reason. There is a reason. And it isn't everything. Well, the reason I can stand by that book is because your thought life matters and it does affect your emotional life and it does affect your relationships and it does affect your outlook when you walk out the door and everything about your life. And sometimes you can control your thoughts. Sometimes it is that simple. But when it is not... And you never go back and like heal or, or reconcile that part of you that is wounded from when you were 12 or five or eight, that part of you is going to keep acting up. And the funny thing is, and somebody told me this and I thought it was absolutely true. It's like, for me, it was like I would be in a grown up 40 something situation, but my 12 year old was showing up. Does that make sense? Like that's how it was. And I could feel it. I was like, that is a 12 year old reaction to the situation. And why? Because that part of me had never healed. And this is so cool. So the science is when you've got, especially as we're talking about trauma, when you've got traumatic um, things that happen in your life, there's breaking of neuropathways. I mean, it's a real, it is not, I think of all of the military for years that came home with none of this knowledge about the brain. I mean, what we know about the brain oh. basically was the last 20 years. So, and we still haven't scratched Right. And I mean, you watch it in Band of Brothers, like these breakdowns, but they don't understand why they can't deal. Like they're not strong enough or whatever. It's like battle fatigue, I think they called it. Yeah. Your poor brain, like, is broken. Like it is breaking your brain to go through these traumatic things, which, you know, we could go off on this too. But even watching traumatic things traumatizes a part of your brain that doesn't know the difference. So some parts of your brain understand. It's why I'm sure you did a lot of training on simulation simulators because simulator training actually works because a part of your brain feels like it's real. Now, a part of your brain is wise and knows and can tell the other part like, hey, this isn't real. But think of our kids, what they've grown up seeing, how much death through video games, how much death on mm. the news, how like our, we're looking at generations that's anxious and yet parts of their brain have, have watched more people die than any other generation ever of kids, you know? So we've got a unique generation that we can't quite figure out why are they so anxious, right? So there's this reality that our brain is traumatized and it breaks neuropathways. Well, the only way, <laughs> so cool, if you don't know this, the only way that neuropathways heal is to, to not be alone in your, the opposite of what they teach you in the arm to not be alone in your suffering. So when you go back to, for me, that 12-year-old story, and I told it in the midst of people that love me, something in my brain healed that could not heal in any other way except to be with people I love and to be flat, crazy honest and just say it like this is, this is what I feel and this is what happened and this is why I feel it. And... 
and just that in something in your brain. I mean, you can Google like neuropathways finding each other. It's the cutest thing in the world. Like they work so hard and they, they work hard and they try to reconnect and they can. And that's the way they do it is you are with people in your pain. And so you can revisit things and be with people in that pain. But we're, what a, if we don't believe the science, most of us that are not emotional will not go there. Because I wouldn't. I just didn't see the point. Because why dig up the past? That just feels stupid. It feels counterproductive. But I'm just telling you it works and it heals. Now, I, you know, my thing with the book is how simple can I keep this? Because, mm. you know, this is such a big subject and you can feel like, gosh, I'm, I'm really, I'm hopeless because I have 1000 traumatic things that have happened to me. Like there's nothing. And, and that's just not how it works at all. Like you begin the journey and you begin to heal and it changes you. It just does. So we actually use in the military neural pathways. We develop them through repetition mm. just again and again yep. and again and again. And I think for the guys with, again, long duration of combat, it's hard to break those neural pathways because it's become just muscle memory, as we say. But I, I, I want to ask you another question, um, especially with this book coming out. It seems like COVID has impacted people so much with mm. mental health that yeah. it's almost now, we, I mean, it's almost weekly we see some sort of meme or video from some airline passenger yeah. just losing their you-know-what, yeah. which I don't, I, I barely remember that. I mean, there was an occasional story once in a while prior to COVID, but it seems like the isolation and everything else has just driven mental health through the uh, the roof. Do you think this book is even oh. more yeah. just people need to pick this well, we up? We haven't we haven't healed. I mean, we wish that weren't true, but it's true. And and it was just such a collective isolation. And you brought up the, how collective you know your tribe, your community helped you heal. Yeah, and when you when you think of if that's the way we heal, we all literally were stuck in our houses alone mm -hmm. on our screens. Like that is the worst way to go through anything. And so, you know, when you look at this generation coming and their anxiety is through the roof, remember for a year, sometimes depending on what state you were in, two years, you they were completely isolated in fear and in formative years of socialization and and times where they needed to be with other people. They were they were in their rooms on their screens because what else are we going to do? We can't just sit around and play family game night all, every minute of every day. So people were isolated in ways, and kids especially, that that we were never meant to live that way. I mean, you go around the world. My my last book I wrote was called Find Your People, and I studied the history of, of how people lived in community and villages. And you go around the world – Nobody has doors, like 80% of the world, like they, I mean, I've, I've traveled to these places. They have a fire in the middle. They do their wash together. They go get water together. They raise their kids together. They don't have a front door. They borrow anything they need from each other. That's how life is being done. And they have to do it that way to survive. And that is how it has been done for every generation since the beginning of time. We are the first, since the industrial revolution, revolution the West is the first in the history of humanity to do life the way we do life because we're the first in the history of humanity to be able to Amazon something to our doorstep and not go borrow it from a neighbor. So we have the most isolated life. Even if it feels like, gosh, there's so much noise, there's so many people, there's so much happening. You are more isolated. Every, all, every one of us is more isolated than any generation in the history of the world. Add technology to it and it just got catastrophically worse. So 
That is at the core of all of this. And I say that because if we don't come together, and here's what's cool, is no, we do not need to kill, a, a, go hunting together and grow crops together and get water together in the West. Most people listening to this interview don't. But we have an emotional crisis. And that's why I wrote about this. I thought if we could see the crisis and be willing to come together and not just stick to our, what is it, suffering in silence? That whole, that is not just in the military. That is like trained. That's in our DNA. You want to think about like American phrases. It's like pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's it's like take care of your own business. That is like the American way. We prize and parade those people. That is not living. That is not how we were meant to live. And the brokenness we're experiencing is because of it. And so when I think about it in my own life, um, you know, I moved to Dallas and we had some family nearby and I had this one friend that just kept showing up at my door unexpectedly, like didn't call, just showed up and like her kids were with her and they just come in and like eat my food. And at first I was like, okay. And then I was like, gosh, this is so refreshing. Because one night, she and her husband and her kids came. They had just gone out to dinner. They looked great. And I was in my robe. But we sat outside for two hours by my fire and talked. And I was like, that's what we need to get back to, is interrupting each other's lives, telling what's going on in our emotional lives, saying it out loud, because it actually does heal us Mm. in a miraculous, beautiful way. And, yeah, doing life together again. You learned that. Like, you did that. In war, like you, you learn that. And I'm watching it in Band of Brothers. You you learn that in war because you have to do it to survive. You know that's true. Like you know, if you come back and don't talk to anybody and go to your own bed and cry, like that's not gonna work. Like y'all had each other and you knew it. And I think I wish I wish that for us. I wish we cried together. I wish we I wish we said the things were really going on, you know, and not just the circumstances. But what do we feel? about these circumstances. There's a sense of homecoming and belonging. Yeah. Of togetherness that I don't think I'll ever feel again. And that's okay. I got to feel it. I totally disagree with you. I think you have to create it now. There you go. It's if you make it. I think it's up to us. And I think people are hurting in similar ways. I mean, Mm. no, it is not the same. And I won't act like it is. But people are hurting. And people need, it's like we are a little bit at war every day. I mean, it's not the same. Life is war. But it yeah. is. And yeah. And and so we could use a little bit of the camaraderie part of it for sure. Oh, I think that is what is missing is one sense of community. Yeah. We, we say, you know, American communities, this town. It's, 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 it's. We don't it's, know how to do it. It's dwindled. Yeah. And. I think a lot of people just don't have a tribe. Yeah. And that, that's what I miss. But we, we've recreated it. And t- talking about people coming over to your house, I mean, Will just comes over to the house nonstop, but he won't actually come through the door because Bane has bit him. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do applaud you. And I'm actually interested, your husband, Zach. Yeah, he's awesome. You, you were pretty vulnerable in the book. Yeah. yeah. First off was Zach... Very was he, was he like, hey, have at it? He did. He did because he knew. He knew that we had to show we get it. Like, we've lived this. He walked through two pretty 
long seasons of depression. Um, one while I was writing the book. And I mean, I'd already started it. I'd been working on it a month when he came to me and said, I'm sinking again. And I've already reached out to a doctor and I've already, and I'm going, I'm panicking because the first bout of it was about 10 years ago and it was so long and hard. And I just, I was scared, you know, and, and he, he's come so far and done so much work. And he, he really, at that point just said, you know what, Jenny, I'm going to be sad for a little while. And I was, it was such an interesting thing. I'm writing a book about feeling your emotions and he was just doing it so well right in front of me. But it, yeah, I think a lot of people probably listening either struggle with depression or anxiety or have someone that does. And it really does, um, change everything about life. You said you have a counselor. Yeah. So is this best-selling author still speaking to somebody? And what is the power of actually voicing what you're going through? Because I don't think a lot of people do that. Oh, man. It's everything. It's absolutely everything. The best sales pitch I can give for it is this, that you aren't free. It either has you or you have it. And it has you if you are not sharing it. And so fear, sadness, whatever, it has you. But if you share it, then you're going through it. There's something, you know, I talked about coping and concealing and controlling, but the ultimate goal of emotion, the reason I believe we were built with it, is connection. That's the point. So when you share your emotion, it, it gives me compassion for you. And all of a sudden, we have a deeper relationship. I got in a fight with some my friends, this small group I'm with. I shared something, and I felt like they responded poorly. And somebody said, well, Jenny, what are you feeling? And I had a choice in that moment to either say, I feel fine. I'm not mad. I'm fine. It's no big deal. That's what I would have normally said. Instead, I said, I feel judged and I feel ticked. Used a better word than that. And you all just made me feel, I shared my guts out with you and you just made me feel like I'm, it's my fault. And mm. I just let him have it. Well, that was a really brave move for me to be that vulnerable and to say what was happening in the room because I love them and I don't, I don't want to be that person that explodes on them. But I said what I felt because they asked. After that, one by one, they went around. And they said, that makes me feel so sad that I hurt you like that. They, they said what they felt about my disappointment and anger. And I left that room closer to them than if they hadn't ticked me off. Does that make sense? It does. And so that's the work we're not doing. Like where we stop is we storm off and slam a door or we yell and say what we think versus what we feel. When you begin a sentence with I feel versus I think, the whole tenor of the room changes. You literally move from one side of your brain to the other side of your brain. And the other, the side of your brain that, that feels rather than thinks is the side of your brain that builds empathy that makes you connect with people. So just using the words I feel sad. So this happened recently. I was riding home. I was driving home and I felt anxious and I was working on the book. So I was super aware of it. I was like, gosh, I was all, noticing all my feelings all the time. And so I feel anxious and I'm about to go inside. And rather than just going inside, I stopped and I was like, what am I anxious about? And I found the thing. It was, it was something from days before, which is hysterical. It wasn't from even that day, but it had been there and I, I was still worrying me. And so I took that little thing and I was like, Ugh okay, I feel worried about this situation. And then I kind of turned it over to the Lord and walked inside. And my kids were stressed because it's 4.30 and that's, you know, everything's, everybody's heightened and they're short with me. 
And I was like, I get it. I've been worried all day about this thing. Rather than bugged that they're stressed, I'm able to say, I get it. I feel that too. And then all of a sudden they come down. They're like, I just feel sad because this happened at school and I wasn't expecting it. And so all of a sudden the conversation goes from, like everybody's angry and hitting each other and everything's exploding to connection. And we're all sharing about our days and we're all sad together and we're all frustrated together and then we're laughing together, you know. But it's such a different thing than what would have happened if I hadn't just taken that one second and paused and asked myself, what's wrong? What am I feeling? I would have walked in. I'm short because I'm anxious about I don't even know what. They're anxious about who they don't even know what. And we're all hitting against each other, you know. It just changes your relationships. It changes your peace and the way that you live. Um, and it gives you that connection that I think everybody's craving with each other. How does that apply to a marriage? Well, this is great. I mean, I think, and I don't want to categorize men as the ones that don't do this because I think sometimes in a lot of relationships it's women. So whoever it is that's, that's sad or angry or frustrated, rather than take it personal, realize like that's a natural reaction to a set of circumstances that happen to them. It's not even just a natural reaction. It's actually a good thing. It's a gift. It's a great thing that when we experience, let's go to the extreme, when we experience death, we feel sad. That is a gift. You don't, it, it comforts you. It literally crying tears releases toxins and tension in your body. I couldn't believe that science because I'm someone that's like, what's the point if I stop and cry? It actually releases things in your body pent up and stored up. There is a gift in these emotions and we're experiencing a broken world and so, therefore, we have strong emotions. And that just helps us make sense of a broken world. So, rather than, like, if your spouse is angry or sad or frustrated at you or whatever, to stop and go, what are you feeling right now? If it's not patronizing. Mm. Some moments it might be. But, in general, what you're looking for is what do they feel? And then to say, that makes me feel sad. And if you have a part in it, that makes me feel sad that I made you feel that way. Like, own your part in it. Because... All of a sudden, the defenses go down. It's not about me against you. It's I'm sad with you. I feel sad. And for some people listening, I'll get the question after I say that. What if I don't feel sad? And I would say it's a muscle you have to build. So fake it. <laughs> Until you make it. Fake yeah. it. Say the right thing. That makes me feel sad because eventually your defenses won't go up every time. I'm watching it with my son right now who's a, you know, a young teenager. It's so fun to watch a young teenage boy figure out their emotions in front of you. He's a, he, and he's a verbal processor, so I get it all. Like I get the whole spill. And he's so funny because I'll be short with him some days. Like that day I walked in and I was tender. Lots of days I walk in and I'm short. And he picks up on it and he'll, he'll do something wrong and he'll either defend himself wildly impressively with gusto or he will go he'll do something beautiful you're right mom and everything in me like I don't even know what to do with that I'm like yeah I'm right that's so sweet I can't I mean all of a sudden I'm like a puddle just those words you're right I did that I mean these are just simple phrases that change the tenor of a conversation you're right I bet that made you feel scared. I bet, because at the bottom of most of our fights isn't the circumstance. 
It's not. It's what happened to your spouse when they were five years old that made them feel insecure when their dad walked out on them. And now you are putting them in a situation that's little bitty. You're not leaving them, but it feels the same way. It's the same feeling they had when they were five. And that five-year-old shows up. If we could just have grace that, that there is so much more going on behind our reactions that I think it would be almost fun to explore where they come from, you know, almost just wonder where that came from. So the simple way I do this, and I'd rather show it than tell it, but the simple way I do it now that I've learned is what are you feeling? And when is the first time you remember feeling that way? Now you can't do that in the middle of a fight, but you can do that with a friend over coffee that's feeling a really strong reaction to something and say, okay, what is that feeling? Get them to name it. I feel, I feel overwhelmed. When's the first time you remember feeling overwhelmed? And to a person, Within five seconds, they remember a moment from their childhood, what they were wearing, what happened. I just did this with a guy that was interviewing me, and he, he was feeling like he disappointed people, and he felt embarrassed. I said, when's the first time you felt that way? When was the first time you felt embarrassed? And he said, I was seven years old, and I was trying out for baseball, and my dad was the coach. He'd already signed up to be the coach, and I didn't make the team. Yeah. And he's crying. He's probably in his 50s. And he's just crying, mm. remembering that feeling. You can't tell me a man who knew what he was wearing at seven years old at 50-something, weeping at 50-something, that that part of him is not still right with him in a fight with his wife. <laughs> like, when he feels like he's disappointing her. Like, that It's all there. And so the beauty is when you go to that and you own it, together and you start to remember those moments and and you don't feel alone in those moments anymore it doesn't make sense but it's the way we were built it's just the way our brains were built and I think of you know the old text of the bible that says mourn with those who mourn I mean that's that's what it is it's like if there is a God and if God built our brains and he said mourn with those who mourn there's more to it than just that's a nice thing to do it's like this is how you were built because you can't live alone. You can't. So, so I'm going to build you to where when you're at war and you come back to the barracks and you're crying and your friends start crying with you, I'm going to cause that to heal something in you that you can't even explain and you can't articulate. But you know it's different than anything you've experienced. And it's because that's how we were actually built to live this life too. So I'm not going to let you say you can't have it. I think it's still possible. Do we live in a world where it's easy? No. It's not natural. And you have to build a whole different way to live. But that's what I'm praying happens. I'm praying we build whole different ways to live. When you said that, sitting around crying, oh, dude, it just brought, brought up a vivid uh, memory. We had just, it was called the Battle of Sadr City, Sadr City in Iraq. Yeah. It was 2008. Wow. And somebody in the military thought it was a good idea to do a third stop or wait, a third stop decompression location. Mm. So they flew a bunch of seals who were just in a battle for mm. like no, four months no, no. to Heidelberg, Germany with all these psychs and, and, and we had to go through these classes and we were like, yeah, hurry up with the psych thing. Cause we went right out in town. We were drinking, but I remember we ended up and they put us in the Marriott in Heidelberg. I don't know if it was a JW or whatever. And we were ordering those German steins with the, the flip off, uh, lids yeah. and 
for whatever reason, there was probably about eight of us in there, and then everyone was in tears. And we had done good on that deployment. We hadn't lost any guys. We'd lost guys on previous deployments. But everyone was in tears, and it was a, a bunch of, like, eight just and tough guys. And it was guys. better than oh, the counseling you would have gotten. It was therapeutic. It is. Because nobody wanted to talk to a counselor at the time. It no. was, it, we, we had to do it as a tribe. You did what needed to be oh, done. Oh, yeah. The reason therapists are needed, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. They're very smart. And I'm a big fan of counseling. And it's changed my life. And and there are times that it just moves beyond the ability of people to help you in your real life. But ideally, we were built. What therapy is, is, is they're going to take you back to moments that and, and help you not feel alone. If you can do that with people, if you can do that with people that love you, um, I just think we're not skilled at it. But but I think it's possible, and I believe it's life-changing to do it. So, yeah, that was probably better healing than the... Well, the Jenny, as we, we wrap this up, you know, I, I always want to make sure we leave something yeah. for the, the viewers, the listeners. What are those things you do on a, you know, sort of daily... Yep. Uh, Level you. for your emotional health. And as yes. I think in the book you refer to is uh, deal with the stubborn knots. What are those things people can I'm do on a daily basis? The, I'm going to give you the five steps I work oh, through in go. the book. But before I do, um, I would say this. Don't be afraid. If you're dealing with an emotion that you felt for a long time, don't be afraid to get help, whether that is medical or um, a counselor, a friend, like to find some way to get help. Um, there is just it, sometimes the, the knot's too big. You can't untangle it yourself. And and I don't think we're meant to. Um, so, you know, I'm a believer in getting your hormones tested, get a full physical, like just all of that. You can't believe how much your physical is affecting your emotional, your emotional affects your physical, all that. Data. So, Data shows yep. that if you're more physically fit, you can deal with stress, anxiety. I mean, yep. so amen. Don't be afraid of that. But the five things I do, I mean, what I did outside my house that day before I walked inside, I noticed what I was feeling. And that sometimes is as simple as just, are you okay or not okay? And if it's, Whatever that is, then you next is you name that feeling. And the more specificity the research shows, the more specificity you can give to the emotion, the better you're going to connect with yourself, with other people through that emotion. So, for instance, if you just say, I'm sad, but you actually feel grief from death that you've experienced or disappointed because you got left out of a party, those those are two very different forms of sadness. So the more specificity you can give to that word, to name that word. The third thing is to feel it. Now, this is a funny thing to say to do, but it really does take practice. And and just to sit there and be sad for a minute. Like, And some of you need a few weeks <laughs> to feel it, so or months even. So what? depending on what it is, you, you feel it, and you give yourself that permission. There's a part of our brain that's judging our sadness and our fear and our anger, and you let that part of you rest, and you let the part of you that's sad feel sad. And, and then you share it with someone. You share what you're feeling with someone, and that is the point of connection where you really can experience comfort. And again, you've got to pick the right person. That's why this is a book and not a pamphlet. And then the last thing is you have to decide and you have to make a choice at that point. Like, what am I going to do with this? Is this something you've got to analyze? Like, is this something that's had me for years? Is this anger something where I'm, I've lashed out at my kids for years? Or is this something that that's going to pass? I describe it as an ocean in the book. And sometimes we're standing on the shore and it's hitting our ankles and we're looking at it. And sometimes we're, you know, waist deep. And some days we're even swimming and it feels really deep. 
and maybe we're swimming for a long time, but we're still swimming. But then there's times where it's like, I think I'm, I'm out too far and I don't know what to do. And so to really kind of measure the depth of like, what is this emotion and, and does it have me or do I have it? And because emotions are not meant to be our God. They're not meant to control our lives and to follow. Like that's, that's not what I suggest. But they are meant to serve us. And they are meant to play a great role of healing and to help us point us to the places that need attention in our lives. And just to repeat those, notice what you're feeling. Name that feeling with specificity. Feel it. Be sad. Be happy. Give yourself permission. Time dependent for different folks, different strokes for yep. different folks. Share it. And then ultimately decide, make a choice whether you need to confront that, dig deeper, or if it's something you think you can move past. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks. Well, congratulations on the book. I have no doubt you'll hit the, uh, we'll the New York Times uh, bestselling <laughs> list again. This is, uh, guys, you know, pick pick it up. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it reminds me, you know, a good friend of ours in the gym went to my wife and said, hey, um, and I'm not, not going to name his name. He said, hey, I've always looked up to Mike. I've read his books. Uh, I've been going through depression. Do you think mm. he'd have coffee with me? And she looked at him. She's like, you know he'll have coffee with you. Oh. And so, oh, she, so he good. shared it. He shared it. And uh, I'm going to have coffee with him and see, yeah. you know, see see what I can do for him and encourage him that, hey, this yeah. this too shall pass. Yeah. But you've got to confront it. And yeah. I think he needs to uh, to make life choices. Um, yeah. Austin, as you know, being from Dallas can be uh, – yeah. The bar scene can become pretty yeah. toxic. I think that's everywhere right now. Yeah. There's a lot of coping going on, and that's okay. I mean, I, th- I hope what everybody leaves with is a lot of grace, that this is, we are fighting fights, and these emotions and even the ways we choose to deal with them, healthy and unhealthy, I mean, I get it. Of course we are struggling. Like, this has been a bit of a, you know what, show for the last... <laughs> few years so uh 2024 is not shaping up to be any it's uh not any better so far yeah but actually i'd encourage people to turn off the news right. and just oh, go live sure. your life yes go live your right. life vote vote on right. november what is it right november 8th? here we go again yeah. right so it yeah i just think of course we're struggling in these ways and yeah. and to not beat ourselves that's just extra energy we're burning like just just know of course i say that to myself a lot of course i feel sad this is sad <laughs> it's funny I, I think that's my biggest takeaway and I'm gonna I'm gonna use this. Not I think, I, I feel. feel. And and I need to ask my wife, hey, what are you feeling right now? Mm. And and get her to voice it as well as let me know as what show happens. a little vulnerability. <laughs> well, perfect. You you've armed me. I can't thank you enough for yeah. for coming down from Dallas. And uh, I can't finger. wait to see how this book does. Thanks. All Thanks. right, guys. Well, um, one pick up the book. We'll we'll post it everywhere. Uh, and again, if you guys can go leave a review on Spotify, Google Cast, Apple Podcast. Uh, we actually read them. It's how we improve. And again, thanks for giving us your time and hope you learned something out here.